Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMALOTN. This week, we got a double header. Obviously, I dropped the UFC Vegas 68 breakdown a little bit earlier this week for you guys, getting a little bit late to this Bellator one, but still wanted to make sure I got it out for you guys. Uh, Bellator 290, headlined by two title fights in the main event we obviously have the retirement fight for the great Fedor Emelianenko he's trying to capture the Bellator heavyweight championship from a man who has already defeated him and Ryan Bader and right off into the sunset with that with that Bader obviously looking to repeat the first fight and go out there and start Fedor Emelianenko quickly and try to put an end to this quote-unquote rivalry in the co-main event, we got the middleweight title on the line as Johnny Eblen looks to defend his title for the first time for a Team Fedor fighter, Anatoly Tokov. Very interesting matchup between two wrestlers there, but I can't wait to break down that one for you guys. We got 14 total fights to get through, so I'm not going to spend as much time as I normally do with UFC events on these Bellator cards, but I'll be sure to get to the main talking points of every single matchup on the card for you guys, just to give you guys my thoughts, my analysis, and my quick prediction on these matchups as well. So without further ado, let's get right into the breakdowns. The first one of the night takes place in the welterweight division between Ethan Hughes and Yusuf Karakaya. Now, Ethan Hughes is known as the guy that derailed the Mahmoud Sebi hype train uh, way back in November of 2021, where it was slightly competitive in the early going, but we saw the cardio, durability, and eventual jujitsu game of Ethan Hughes start to take over as Sebi started to slow down, and Hughes was able to get him out of there in that third round. And durability and heart and grit is pretty much what you can say anytime you watch Ethan Hughes fight and he is obviously a very young fighter at this point in time at 21 years old he hasn't fought since that Sebi fight so I'm interested to see what kind of improvements he's been making since that fight but he is a guy that we should be you know somewhat keeping our eye on I don't think he has a tremendously high ceiling but the fact that he's getting such high level competition this early in his career and Passing it with flying colors is a thing that we should take note of. His opponent, Yusuf Karakaya, making his Bellator debut here. It's going to be his second professional MMA fight. His first one took, pack, took place back in 2019, where he was able to beat this complete amateur, uh, took the guy to the ground pretty much immediately, and was able to just get that top position, eventually get that rear naked choke, and get him out of there. But that's not Yusuf's game. Yusuf is a kickboxer. From the last I could see, he had a 17-4 kickboxing record with 16 knockouts. He has a ton of knockout power in his hands and in his kicks. So that's something that we're going to be keeping our eye on in this fight because that's obviously an advantage he's going to have over Ethan Hughes. My big holdup as to why I'm not so confident on the Yusuf side is we have no idea what his defensive grappling looks like. We haven't seen any tape on it of how he reacts when guys are looking to get him to the ground relentlessly, if his takedown defense is any good, and if he does get taken down, what his game looks like off of his back. I was able to search through his IG, which I'm going to admit looks like a thirst trap more than anything. But I saw him working with Antonio Miki many, many months ago, but I'm not sure what the rest of his MMA training has looked like. In the striking standpoint, of course, he probably blows Ethan Hughes out of the water, but this is an MMA fight, not a kickboxing fight. So I'm not entirely sure what to expect of him should, and inevitably, that takedown come from the Ethan Hughes side of things. The way that I would look to attack this is probably the under one and a half, which currently sits around plus 125, as if Karakaya can stop the takedowns. I think he'll absolutely finish Ethan Hughes with 
within the first round of this fight just because of that wide skill gap between them in that in that realm but if Ethan Hughes is able to get this fight to the ground with relative ease I really don't know or think that Yusuf will have much of a game off of his back and I think that will allow Yusuf or sorry Ethan to get those dominant positions and quickly get Yusuf out of there as well not something I'm tremendously confident in given the lack of data we have on the uh, Turkish fighter uh, but I will go with Yusuf here to get that knockout in the first round but I would rather take that under one and a half more than anything next up in the featherweight division we got a fight between Isaiah Hockett and Peter Ishiguru uh, interesting matchup here obviously Hockett uh, a standout collegiate wrestler coming into the Bellator cage uh, initially he had no fights under his belt and then he got knocked out in 10 seconds in his first fight he's managed to rebound pretty well after those two fights picking up two victories in his next two fights finishing both of his opponents but showcasing the patience that it takes to implement his wrestling game grind his opponents down eventually break them and then finish them gotta believe with the lack of uh popularity of the jackson wink tra- training camp nowadays that isaiah hawk is probably getting the majority of the training and the focus from that team now so i'm interested to see what kind of developments they can continue to make in this kid who's still very raw in his game peter ishiguro on the other hand hasn't competed in bellator in over i'd say three years now uh he had uh, sorry he's had two fights in bellator his first one he came up short against Cass bell where he ran into a knee in the second round of a relatively competitive matchup and then in his next fight he fought Elias Anderson which uh, was not able to get any tape on so I'm not entirely sure how he won that fight other than by decision but just given some of his background he spent some time in college as a wrestler obviously not to the level of Peter uh, of uh, Isaiah Hockett but um, I do think that's probably what he used to try to get his victory in that third fight of his professional career obviously he will get out wrestled in this matchup should it take place in the grappling room and Ishiguru's striking is not that bad you know I like how consistent he stays with it he throws with some power and he throws a variety of strikes as well so he might have a slight advantage in the striking realm against Hockett but wrestling is the end all and be all of MMA especially if you're able to establish that top position with your jiu-jitsu put your opponent into uncomfortable positions and get them out of there that's exactly what I'm thinking we're going to get from Isaiah Hockett this weekend so I'm going to go Hockett Hockett probably inside the distance a little bit later on in this matchup but I do think he wins this fight sorry actually I'm going to say him to win by decision I think Ishiguru is a tough cat tough guy to put away uh, and unless Hockett can replicate the knee that Caspell was able to land on him I think this fight will likely go the full 15 minutes but I'm going to take Hockett to win this fight not so hot on taking the big chalk on him because this is definitely a step up in competition for Hockett although I do think the layoff for Ishiguru will play against him here so again final prediction I'm going to go Isaiah Hockett via decision next up we got a a phenomenal fight here i'm very much looking forward to this one we got jalen bates going up against jornel lugo very very interesting matchup here both these guys were scheduled to go up against each other a couple months ago unfortunately unfortunately jalen bates was forced to pull out of that fight i believe just before weigh-in day uh not entirely sure why but they managed to put the fight back together and i'm very glad they did because both these guys are very hot prospects obviously jornel lugo was a part of the i believe bantamweight grand prix came up short against danny sabotello in the opening round can you blame him it's very hard to deal with that wrestling style of sabatello the fight before that against brian moore we saw jornal pushed more than he had been in pre- uh, previous fights as brian was able to push him up against the cage get some uh good chunks of control time up against the cage and even landed some big shots of his own 
Ultimately, it was the slicker striking of Jornal Logu, which was able to get more damage and more praise from the judges, which is why Jornal eventually got his hand raised by decision that night. Jornel, at his best, is very good at sticking his opponents at distance, maintaining his distance, and just riding that edge of keeping these guys right at his, you know, as far off as he can in terms of still sticking them with his jab and the occasional kick. And then whenever they try to come in with something, he does a good job of pivoting away and then getting back into the middle of the cage. It really takes somebody that's going to be able to close that distance with power and determination to get Jornel up against the cage, keep him static, drag him to the ground, or even just get some control time up against the cage. But I like what I see from Jornel. The guy's a very slick striker. He has a sneaky trip takedown game, and his PJJ is not that bad, but obviously his bread and butter being that striking game of keeping his opponents at distance. Jalen Bates, 6-0 prospect here, uh, training with AJ McKee and Antonio McKee at the body shop. Very highly touted prospect. He ran into his stiffest test last time around, which a lot of people may look down on, that he went to a split decision against a fighter that was only 10-7. and seven. But sometimes the record doesn't really tell how good a fighter is or how durable and tough that fighter actually is. And that was the case with Mark Coates. Mark was able to put him into bad positions, but we saw the patience and the um, you know confidence of Jordan or of uh, Jalen Bates in terms of being able to get out of those bad positions, get back on top, or get back into the distance, and get back to his unorthodox striking style and eventually his grappling game, which is where he shines the most. In this matchup, I do think that his striking style will allow him to close that distance distance against Jornel, and I think he'll be able to get in on the hips of Lugo, eventually take him to the ground, and slowly grind him. Out. I think Jornel will be able to pop back up to his feet and I think he'll be able to stick him with a couple jabs and a couple kicks but I think the majority of this fight is going to get played out with um, Jalen Bates attempting to get that takedown game going that grappling game going and that will eat up enough clock for him to eventually get his hand raised via decision in this matchup i like the over two and a half the most in this fight uh, as i do think a large of the a large part of this fight will be in that grappling realm with both guys jockeying for a position with bit with baits normally getting the better of the positions or with lugo just sticking on the outside and sticking his job out there and keeping busy but not anything too stinging or threatening in terms of finishing Jalen bates either so over two and a half my favorite spot in this fight but i'm gonna go with the underdog here in Jalen bates and i'm kind of surprised that he's around that plus 220 range given the amount of hype he had throughout the the the, the earlier parts of his career i thought that would continue to trickle on over even when he starts taking steps up in competition but i think a lot of people are looking into that coach fight backing the lugo side considering that they believe he is the more established and warranted fighter of being the favorite i just think the line is a little bit too wide a little bit of a shot on bates not a bad idea but i do think this fight ends up going the full 15 minutes which is why i don't mind the over two and a half final prediction uh jalen bates via decision next up we got darian caldwell taking on nikita mikhailov uh obviously darian caldwell uh, not on the best stretch right now i believe he's on a three fight losing streak and it's a huge difference from what he was originally doing when he first came into the bellator uh promotion obviously had that little bit of a slip up against Jotai Manglo, I believe the kid's name was, quickly avenged that loss in his next fight, made his way to the title shot, got the title, defended a couple times, and then ran into Kyoji Horiguchi. Had some rough times in between that stretch, but obviously right now on a three-fight losing streak. His uh, attempt at going up to 145 pounds really didn't pay off for him, as he obviously got finished by AJ McKee in the... Um, 
Uh, I believe that was the second round of the uh, featherweight Grand Prix. Uh, and then he came back to Bantamweight and still ended up losing two fights. The big kryptonite in his game seems to be his uh, lack of cardio at times. He does start to slow down. His fights start to go on. And uh, when he's not able to just thoroughly dominate somebody in the wrestling realm, that's where he starts to slow down and starts to get into these hiccups where his opponents are able to take advantage of him, put him into bad positions, and just grind him out that way. Just as Leandro Yigo was in a very close fight, could have gone either way. Way, but as Enrique Barzolo was in terms of being able to put him out in that third round with a, a ground and pound victory. Nikita Mikhailov, still relatively young in his Bellator career. I believe he only has two fights to this point in time, or th three fights to this point. Obviously losing his last fight to the last person, Darian Caldwell, just lost to as well, Enrique Barzola. Barzola is just a weird, grindy grappler that's very hard to deal with, especially with his strength and his cardio. And Mikhailov obviously came uh, or succumbed to that as well. But Mihailov at his best, very good wrestler, solid striker, puts on a good pace, and has solid cardio, which is why I lean the Mihailov side here. I do think that this fight will be close in the early goings, but as this fight starts to stretch on, as we get those scrambling situations going, I think Mihailov will slowly get ahead of Caldwell and start to take over the later that this fight goes. I see him around minus 135, which I don't think is a bad line, but I, you know, I don't want to completely count out Darian Caldwell. Yes, the kid's up there at 35 years old. I'm surprised I'm calling him kid, obviously. He's older than me, but you guys know what I mean. Um, he came into the Bellator cage as a kid. Now, obviously, he's a grown-ass man and likely in the twilight of his career. But I do think on the flip side for, with Mikhailov, he's still getting into the prime. He's still getting his experience. And I think that went, or that fight against Barzola showed him the level that he needs to elevate to. Obviously, training with the Team Fedor team, you know he's getting a great amount of uh, training and high-level uh, advice and expertise and technical breakdowns of how to get ahead of most of these guys. And I think we're going to see that in full uh, play here against Darian Caldwell. So it'll be close early. This will likely go the over two and a half mark as well. But I do think the longer that this fight stretches, we'll see Mihailov start to pull away with this fight and win it via decision. Next up, we got the women going at it here with Deanna. Um, I'm going to try to say this the first time and try to get it right every time after that. Diana Avsaragova going up against Alejandra Lara. Uh, interesting fight here because this is the first legit step up for Avsaragova. I'm just going to call her... Uh, I'm just going to call her Diana. I apologize, guys. <laughs> I, again, I'm a guy that pride myself on uh, on pronunciations, and I'm obviously going to continue to butcher that. Um, highly tired prospect, like I've said. We've seen her in the minus 1,000 range in the past, and she's done a good job in terms of implementing her striking style. She uh, she comes from a freestyle wrestling background. We don't really see that on display much. Obviously, we we saw her use it defensively in her last fight against Kira Batara, and she did a very good job in terms of keeping that fight upright and then using her striking to just pick away at Batara from distance. However, in this matchup against Lara, I think she'll be at a striking disadvantage, but luckily for her, I'm not the biggest believer on the Lara side. She's on a four-fight losing streak, and she showcased that the kryptonite to her game is somebody with a good wrestling game. And we are led to believe that Diana has a good wrestling game, but we haven't seen it on display yet. But luckily for her, she should be able to close the distance here with relative ease, which is something that Lara has really struggled with throughout her MMA career. And then from there, we'll see her be able to get onto the hips, get this fight to the ground, and probably grind it out. But again, it's tough to really say, okay, this is the way to do it if we haven't really seen Navsar Ragava really use that type of game plan in the past. 
What if it gasses her out quickly and then Lara is able to take over late with a better striking game? That's absolutely on the table. So initially, I was a little bit surprised that D Diana was the underdog in this matchup. But the more I started thinking about it, I completely understand. But I'm still going to go with the Diana side. I'm going to believe the fact that she has a good wrestling game. And I'm going to believe the fact that she can st keep her own in the striking game or hold her own in the striking game enough to eventually close that gap, close that distance, get this fight to the ground, and then ultimately have those th takedowns and that control time be the deciding factor as to why the uh, judges ended up giving it up to her. So I'm going to take Diana as the underdog. Uh, and I think she ends up grinding this fight out en route to a decision victory. In the next fight, we got light heavyweights going out of here between Grant Neal and Carl Albrechtson. I believe it's light. I don't know why I always think that Grant Neal is a middleweight. Because the guy is just a fire hydrant of a man. Right, he's five foot ten, five foot eleven, completely stocky as hell. Usually at a uh, height disadvantage, just as he is in this matchup against Carl Albrechtson. Uh, but it's been working out for him. And I gotta say, the one loss that he has on his record, I thought he deserved to win that fight. But it was a great learning experience for him as he showcased that even through cardio dumps, he could still go out there and grind fights out. But hopefully that fight gave him an idea of, okay, you never want to feel like that again. Just as he, you know, showcasing the, um, in his next fight, I believe the kid's name was Christian Edwards. He was able to get that fight to the ground over and over again, really pull it through in the late uh, goings of that fight to be able to get his hand raised via decision. He has big power in his hands, but that's not really like his go-to. His go-to would be the grappling. He wants to overwhelm you with his strength, outmuscle you, get you to the ground, and grind you up from on top. He does a very good job from that top position, excuse me, in terms of holding his opponents down and doing damage from on top. Obviously, he has big knockout power in his hands, but that is usually what intimidates his opponents in terms of closing that distance and trying to get in on the shorter man, as I would expect Carl to be thinking about when he's trying to get his own game going. Carl has a tremendous amount of... Uh, um, uh, experience for a guy with 17 professional MMA fights but just going through his uh his record you can see the level of opponents that he's been going up against many people will remember him as the guy that gave Yuri Prohaska his toughest test before he came to the UFC and people still look back at that fight and be like this is why Yuri's not going to be that big or that good of a champion yet Yuri keeps going out there and proving people wrong Carl dominated him for nine and a half minutes before he eventually gassed out and Yuri Prohaska was able to unload on him with a lot of big shots, eventually getting him out of there via TKO. Carl obviously has had a little bit of an up and down run in the Bellator cage so far, coming up short against Phil Davis and then obviously in his last fight against, uh, I can't recall the Irish fella's name off the top of my head, Tapology, save me, Carl Moore. Uh, Carl Moore was able to uh, hurt him or, or sorry get him to the ground in the second round and choke him out but in the ending of the first round there Carl almost had him hurt and out of there as well I'm not sure if he emptied the gas tank trying to get him out of there but we saw a completely Carl a completely different Carl in the second round which is why Moore was able to take advantage and eventually finish him in that matchup this is a close fight but I do think that Neil is the side. I think that Carl will struggle to get Neil to the ground, which will obviously be Carl's main go-to plan. But even on the feet, if Carl wants to try to maintain that distance and try to outstrike him from uh, from the outside, I think that Neil will be able to meet him with some big shots whenever Carl tries to close the distance or with a level change, get this fight to the ground and grind him out from that top position. Very close fight. I do, like I said, I do lean the uh, Grant Neal side. I just wish I had a little bit more confidence in it, given um, 
I want to say the lack of experience against high-level competition that Grant Neal has. But this could be his breakthrough performance where he beats a guy with a legitimate amount of experience and hopefully is able to get his hand raised after that. So give me Grant Neal. Grant Neal by decision. But this is going to be a very, very tough fight for him. Next up, we got Chris Gonzalez going up against Max Roskopf. This should be a good grappling fight or... Chris Gonzalez could keep this fight on the feet and likely do have his way with Max. Now, Max is obviously going to be known as that guy that pretty much quit on the stool in his lone UFC performance. He came in on 10 days notice against Austin Hubbard, had some decent success in the first round, was unable to get Austin Hubbard out of there, and eventually gassed out and quit on himself going into that third round. He was completely zapped. Obviously, Hubbard was starting to turn the tide, really start to land on him and really dig the body of Max Roskoff in the latter half of that second round. And Roskoff just quit on himself. Dana was very critical of him and ultimately caught him shortly thereafter. And I believe Roskoff took off about a year or so, managed to come back to Cage Warriors, pick up two wins, and now has a shot in Bellator to try to prove that he is much better and will not allow that one performance in the UFC to define his career career now i'll give it to him the guy is a high level wrestler very good jujitsu player but if he's not able to get fights to the ground i think he's going to struggle in the striking realm i think that's his weak point of his game and i think that carl chris gonzalez although he is a wrestler himself is likely the better striker here we've seen him put his hands together his kicks together and knock opponents out in the past and i think he's a little bit more comfortable in the striking realm than max roskopf fully and chris has shown that he can go a hard 15 minutes if he needs to I really think Max is going to struggle to get this fight to the ground. And even if he does early, I think Gonzalez has good enough submission defense and good enough jiu-jitsu game to stay safe, eventually get this fight back to the feet, digging at that body of Roskopf, slowly breaking him down, and then maybe finishing him in the latter half of this fight. I'm not expecting a complete cardio dump from Max again, but I think we're going to see him fight his demons in the cage there when he's not able to get his way the way that he was able to get his way in his last two wins, which you know, was against mediocre competition. He wasn't really fighting anybody with good enough um, with good enough resistance for him. And that's why I think he's going to truly struggle. So give me Chris Gonzalez. Feel pretty good about it. Think that this is a very good spot for him. And I think he finishes him in the latter half of this matchup. Next up, we got a great heavyweight bout ahead of us between Steve Mowry, who is pretty much on the cusp of a title shot, going up against Bellator newcomer Ali Isayev. Now, this is a very interesting matchup, like I've said, because Mowry in his last fight fought the guy that just lost to Ryan Bader in a heavyweight title fight, uh, Valentin Moldovsky. That fight, unfortunately, came to a quick end uh, via no contest because of an inadvertent eye poke uh, from uh from Moldovsky to Steve Mari, and obviously that caused the fight to 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 get stopped and become a no contest. But Mari, uh, very highly touted prospect, the guy continues to make great improvements. Training with Killcliff FC has a great team behind him, behind him, and is making solid improvements on a fight to fight basis. He has solid striking, uses his length very well, but he does his best work when he's able to ground opponents and then get that half guard slash side control position because he gets great leverage when he's able to attack the far side arm for a Kimura or an Americana of any sort and usually opponents are unable to get out from under such a big man and that could be a very tough spot for Ali Isayev. Now Isayev is a, uh, a Greco, I believe he is a Greco-Roman or a freestyle wrestler, uh, was a part of the Olympics back in 2006, obviously getting up there in age, I believe he's 38 or 39 years old now and he's been out of the cage since 2019. 
He won the PFL 2019 heavyweight season by defeating a, a crop of guys and then eventually, obviously, Jared Rochalt in the finals. But I'm not the most impressed with this game. Like, his takedowns are good. Obviously, he's able to get guys to the ground. Doesn't have the greatest top control. So I think that Maori, even if he is taken down, will be able to work back to his feet. Uh, and then in the striking room, all he really has is a spinning back kick and your patented blitzing overhand right that you expect from most heavyweights. If Mari can stay clear of those, I think he'll be able to touch up Isai from distance on the feet. And I think he might even be able to land his own takedown and do what he does best from on top, working for that Americana slash Kimura uh, series of, of submission holds that he likes. My only concern is that we just haven't seen enough of Mari off of his back. If he can't get up off of his back, he's in trouble. I'm not the most impressed with Isaev's uh, top control, like I've said. And the fact that he's been out of the cage for so long, 39 years old now, he must be starting to slow down. Obviously, at heavyweight, you can get away with being in your late 30s, early 40s. And obviously, with a guy with as much wrestling experience as Isaev, it might be able to bail him out. But I'm just not totally sold on his ability to keep guys on the ground. And I got to believe that Maori has been working get-ups throughout this training camp and throughout his career because inevitably that's what people want to do. They want to take the big man down so the big man can't do big man things. But luckily, I think that Maori is well-prepared enough to get this fight up, to keep it in the standing room, or eventually land his own takedown and do his own damage from on top. So I'm going to go with Steve Maori. Maori inside the distance. Not a whole lot of confidence there, but I do think that the layoff, the age, all of that is going to work against Isaev here, and it's going to be an unfortunate Bellator debut. Next up in the featherweight division, we got Henry Corrales going up against Ahmed Makum... Ma sorry... Ahmed Magomedov, sorry, I'm not sure what the hell happened there. Uh, solid fight here. Obviously, Henry Corrales, a Bellator veteran at this point in time. His loss is only coming to the best of the best in Bellator, either former champions or formal title challenges, or Johnny Campbell, who, you know, was losing 99% of that fight until he landed a beautiful uppercut and then eventually found that rear naked choke on Corrales. But Corrales has managed to bounce back with two solid victories since that fight, getting back to his winning ways. And I really think he's always going to be that top 10-ish guy in Bellator, but never will really be able to crack that top five or that top three of the division. He has a very active, solid striking game, good calf kick that he likes to implement. And he normally showcases a pretty good uh, uh, takedown defense game, a, a defensive grappling game. You know, it, it's been taking guys to rock him, to really take advantage of him in that grappling realm. And that might be what it takes for Magomedov to try to get this into his realm. Amagomedov still very uh, early in his mixed martial arts career, at least with Bellator as well. Hasn't really faced the stiffest of competition. Gotta think that this is going to be a stiffest competition to date. And it's very hard to try to, you know, downplay how good Dagestani wrestling is. There really isn't much tape or relevant tape on the Magomedov side as the only fight that I was able, or two fights I was able to get a hold of. One was his fight against Gabriel Miranda, who obviously made his UFC debut a couple months back. Uh, a very erratic BJJ style of fighter and obviously you could expect that he was just dropping with every punch that Magomedov threw just so he could try to get the grappling going obviously Magomedov having none of that welcoming him back to his feet and then just doing that regular wrestling style of striking big overhand looping rights trying to knock him out not just knock down but knock out his opponent and was unsuccessful in doing that and then just riding up positions up against the cage to try to get some control time 
His other win against Kevin Bame, I think was the guy's name, beat him within 76 seconds. So not too much to take from that either. My question is, you know, if he does struggle to get Henry Corrales to the ground, is a striking game good enough to hold up a minus 500 that he's currently sitting at? I'm not sure. I think Corrales is likely going to be the better striker here. But it's hard to stop that Dagestani grind. It's hard to stop that uh, eventual takedown that's going to come and the consistency of those takedowns. So there's a little bit of unknown in terms of how good Magomedov's cardio is going to be dealing with a guy like Corrales. And then we obviously know he's not going to be able to hold up with the striking of Corrales, but maybe the threat of the takedown will allow him to continue to be um, very dangerous in that striking realm to get off on his own big shots even with Corrales trying to counter him, but still not throwing enough in the hopes of not getting taken down from that eventual takedown that's going to come his way. So I do lean the Magomedov side here. I do think he wins this fight probably by decision, but at no point would I um, suggest to take that minus 500 in this spot. He should win this fight, but we need to find out more about him before we trust him at such a high price tag. Next up... We got a solid welterweight belt here between, let me make sure I got this right, yeah, welterweight belt between Lorenz Larkin and Mohamed Burkhamov. Now, both these guys actually fought before, but was the fight was stopped pretty quickly as Lorenz Larkin inadvertently eye-poked Burkhamov and, or sorry, it was a... Uh, uh, illegal st strike to the back of the head it was a very nasty elbow that he had right spot on to the back of the head that really rattled Brahamov and that caused the fight to get stopped as Brahamov was not able to take control or 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 return from that type of strike now Brahamov uh, obviously you can guess from his name he likes to grapple but he has a very good jiu-jitsu game behind that wrestling style uh, he's very active even when he's the one on his back he's always looking for reversals always looking for submissions but when he gets his opponents to the ground he's not much of a lay-in prayer he's working to break you down and then eventually get that dominant position that he needs to eventually find that submission obviously he'll be at a striking disadvantage here against the Muay Thai specialist Lorenz Larkin but we saw in the first fight already that Brahamov is able to get this fight to the ground obviously he had some issues in terms of keeping Lorenz Larkin there but that usually gets easy as fights start to go on Brahamov mainly was training with Killcliffe FC. I believe that's where he's still doing most of his training camp. But for the majority of the last two to three years, he's been inactive from a live competition perspective. But he's usually in the corners or working with a lot of these guys as a very able body sparring partner. And I know that he's been upping his game through all that training that he's been doing. But Finally getting back into live action here. I think a win here could really put him into the top of that welterweight division and hopefully en route to a title shot because I believe this guy is that good. He just has to get more active. So I do lean him in this fight. I do think he is going to eventually be able to get that top position, drag this fight to the ground, and I think that will op eventually open up uh, a submission opportunity for him to take on home a W over Lorenz Larkin. Next up, we got another welterweight matchup between Naaman Gracie and short notice repla replacement Dante Skiro. Now, Naaman Gracie on a little bit of a rough run right now, last time out getting finished by... Uh, getting finished by Goyoti Yamauchi, not the greatest of a look, but a lot of people don't put enough emphasis on Goyoti's striking game because he's a Bellator leader in submissions. 
But the guy has a sneaky karate style of striking. And we've obviously seen that on display over his last couple of fights. But obviously the fight before that, Logan Storley was able to stop the ground game of Naaman Gracie and eventually beat him to the punch in the striking realm. And although his Naaman striking looked good against Mark Leminger, I think that was more so of Mark Leminger just not really being that good of a fighter, which is why Naaman Gracie looked so good in that matchup. It's clear, Naaman needs to get this fight to the ground to have success. Because if he doesn't, Dante Skiro is likely the better uh, striker in this matchup. Now Dante, uh, you know, very good calf kick. I love how active that he stays with that. He has good combinations and good striking behind that. And his ground game defensively has been solid. Like I think that he's done a really good job in terms of staying out of bad positions, staying out of submission opportunities for his opponent, and then getting back out on top and really punishing these guys from that top position. Obviously, he got caught in a very weird submission that we've never seen before that they even renamed after the guy that hit it, Luca Poklet, or Poklet, I believe his name is. Uh, they call it the Lucanator choke. Uh, one of the weirdest chokes. I don't even know how to explain it. If you haven't seen it, go back and check it out from Bellator 285. Uh, but Dante was winning the majority of that matchup, really starting to take over in the latter half of that fight until Luca was able to hit that weird choke and eventually choke him out there. But I think Dante Skiro put up a really good fight against Against Logan Storley in his short notice uh, Bellator debut uh, went to a split decision uh, he was obviously succumbing to the takedowns early in that matchup but as the fight started to drag on he was stopping the takedowns and was doing some good damage even while defending the takedowns one judge thought he deserved to win the fight just off the damage alone and the takedown defense while the other two judges thought that the takedown attempts and control time was enough for Logan to get his hand raised but Dante, very solid fighter, and I don't think he should be as big of an underdog as he is in this matchup. Yes, I believe he will get taken down, and I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he'll likely be able to stay out of the majority of Naaman Gracie's submissions, but when this fight gets back to his feet, which it inevitably will, I think Dante Skiro really starts to touch up uh, Naaman Gracie and possibly even finishes him in the latter half of this matchup. I do prefer the under two and a half more than anything in this fight, as I do think that, you know, there is a chance that Naaman could lock up a submission. But if this fight does stay on the feet, I think Skiro will be aggressive enough, especially with that lead leg kick to break down Naaman Gracie and then eventually finish him with his uh, hands after that um, to really put a stamp on this fight and let him likely pick up the biggest win of his Bellator career or career period. So uh, I'm going to go with the underdog here. I'm going to go with Skiro. Uh, again, not a whole lot of confidence in it because I know he can be taken down. But I like what I've seen from his defensive grappling. He has some very high-level training partners that he has over there at Team Elevation. I think he'll be able to stay safe enough. And then as he starts to get more comfortable in the fight, he'll be able to stop the takedowns. A game of name and graces that I'm not the most sold on either. I know he'll be able to hit the first couple. But I think as the fight starts to go deeper, I think he'll struggle to get the takedowns. And that's where Skiro is going to start to take over butcher him and then eventually finish him as well so let's go Dante Skiro for the upset and I think he does it probably in the second or third round of this matchup all right, sticking with the third straight welterweight fight, we got a banger on our hands here between Saba Homasi and Brennan Ward. An absolute firefight of a fight here. Brennan Ward, obviously 2-0 since coming back from his weird hiatus that he had where he had an addiction to drugs and uh, pretty much disappeared from uh, you know the face of the world, um, uh, even from his family, and really let that ruin his life, but managed to get back together and uh, has won two fights since that uh, had occurred. I believe he had three or four years 
away from MMA competition and he came back and provided the same violence that we fully expected from him. The guy's a solid wrestler but really puts a lot of emphasis on his big striking ability and his big knockout power. That's what he's going to be looking to implement here against Sabu Humasi who's going to be trying to do the exact same thing. Both these guys love to go out there and knock their opponents out and sometimes when you get guys like this fighting each other they're kind of timid in terms of throwing their, their power but I really think that both these guys have a ton of confidence and other people might call it a huge ego that they can go out there and knock out their their opponent. And I think that's what's going to happen here. I do give the slight advantage to Hamasi in terms of being the slightly slicker striker in terms of throwing straight shots straight down the pipe compared to Ward who's going to be winging his shots and trying to blitz forward and trying to knock him out that way. I think we'll see Hamasi catch him on the uh, on the entry of one of those blitz attacks, put him out cold and eventually finish him with some ground and pound. So um, I like the under one and a half. You know, I'm expecting violence right off the jump here, but I do think it's going to be Humasi who eventually gets his hand raised. Under one and a half, probably the best way to go about it. All right, next up, we got the first title on the line, and this takes place in the middleweight division between Johnny Eblin and Anatoly Tokov. Very intriguing fight here, as Anatoly Tokov has a great record of 31-3, and and then on the flip side for Johnny Eblin, who's now reaching that minus 300 range, a squeaky clean 12-0 record. He's fresh off a victory of capturing that middleweight title from MMA legend Gegard Mousasi, where he showcased a plethora of good talent. Now, he started off his career as just an MMA, or sorry, just a wrestler, and his, a lot of his early fights were boring, let's be honest. The guy wanted to get you to the ground, control you, really drag fights out and just grind you out. But as his career has progressed, he has very much honed in on his striking game. He's very slick with his boxing and his kickboxing, and that the threat of the takedown allows him to be even more confident with his striking game behind that, and I think that will allow him to uh, really open up uh, on a guy like Anatoly Tokov. Now, Eblin, you know, I, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here, but I think he might be the best middleweight on the planet mixing in his wrestling with his developing striking which is already at an elite level in my opinion and his high level cardio he's going to be a tough test for anybody i think he could beat alex Pereira. i think he could even give israel adesanya a run for his money the guy's wrestling game is phenomenal and the way that he strikes blends his wrestling behind it so effortlessly as well which is why i think he's such a, a great fighter Anatoly Tokov, very good wrestler, as you would expect, grinded out a lot of his opponents, and his striking game could use a little bit of work, but it's been good enough to give him that 31-3 record. But I think he's out for a, a tough time against Johnny Eblin, who will likely be able to outstrike him, likely outgrapple him, and then drown him in the latter half of this matchup, eventually finishing him in that fourth or fifth round. I just don't think that Tokov can hold a candle to him, especially in that third, fourth, and fifth round, where Eblin is just as comfortable striking as he is grappling. So when Tokov is going to be looking to change levels and go for takedowns, Eblin might give up one or two takedowns, but I think he'll be able to work to his feet relatively quickly, get back to his handiwork, and possibly finish, like I said, uh, Tokov in the, the third, fourth, or even fifth round of this matchup. I think Eblin is going to be a champion for a very long time. It's going to take a, you know, Leon Edwards, Kamar Usman type of thing to happen for Johnny Eblin to lose his title because Eblin is one of the most complete fighters I've seen in the current MMA game. Expect Eblin to go out there and absolutely smash Tokov, especially when this fight reaches the third, fourth, and fifth rounds. The first two rounds could be a little bit close, a little bit of back and forth with the grappling, but I think that the striking advantage that Eblin will be having, along with his cardio advantage, will allow him to pull away with this fight as it starts to get deeper into the round. So, and still, Johnny Eblin, I think he's a shoe in for a lock of the night prediction for this week. 
I guess I said it. <laughs> All right. That brings us to our main event. And before we get there, I just want to quickly plug the Patreon once again. Uh, got the UFC breakdowns on there, Bellator breakdowns. But as well, we got the PFL. We got Fury FC, which goes down Sunday. I'll be dropping those breakdowns very shortly on the on the Patreon there. So make sure you guys check that out. Uh, LFA, Cage Warrior, CFFC, all those regional promotions are going to be on the, or not going to, are, have been on the Patreon. So make sure you guys check it out. If you want the extra bit of action or predictions or analysis in your life, I got you fully covered. I'm not just half-assing these. I'm going deep into these guys' careers. I'm going deep into the tape, starting in the footage and the research and as much information as I can extract on every single one of these fighters and providing that information to you guys giving you guys my prediction but ultimately leaving it up to you in terms of how you want to take it and how you think it applies to their matchups i got you covered check out the patreon link in the description below you won't regret it all right main event time here we got the heavyweight title on the line between ryan bader the defending heavyweight champion looking to once again defeat the last emperor fader emilianenko who's going to be looking to end his career off on a high note with a bellator belt around his waist this will be his last matchup now if you guys remember the first fight was pretty quickly where ryan bader hit him with a i believe it was a looping left hook that he managed to hit fader with dropped fader ultimately followed up with some big strikes and got him out there relatively quickly um it seemed like fedor really didn't have much in terms of his um in terms of his durability anymore but he did manage to pick up two wins after that loss over quentin jackson who let's be honest came in at 265 pounds didn't look like he trained a day for that training camp at all and then tim johnson who was just a little bit too slow for faders type of game so he was able to capitalize on those both of those matchups finishing both those guys within the first half of the first round on the in the ryan bader fight that's where we saw him struggle against a guy uh, you know in bader who you know athletically still much better than him likely the faster guy as well and that's some good finishing power of his own now this could still be a very back and forth matchup early especially if Bader's not able to get that early knockout and we've seen Bader get knocked out in his own right it could be potential that Bader eventually gets knocked out himself but I do think that the best way of approaching this might be the over one and a half around that plus 180-ish range like if Bader didn't knock him out maybe he just goes back to doing what he's done best in the heavyweight division Grind, grind these guys up against the cage look to take him to the ground Fedor might be able to hold his own for a little bit but I think as the grind starts to go on him I think it will start to start to make him slow down and I think that Bader will be able to take over uh, the longer that this fight goes but mixing the possibility of Bader potentially knocking him out I get why Bader is the big favorite in this spot but let's not count out the fact that Fedor could potentially knock him out as well very tough fight to call. I'm going to go with the Bader side of things. Fight doesn't go to decision probably makes sense as well. Um, but I'm not putting all my eggs in the Ryan Bader basket as his durability is just as questionable as Fedor's as well. But I'm going to say and still, unfortunately, the last Emperor will have to go out on a defeat. And I think that Ryan Darth Bader gets his hand raised. Let's say, you know, a finish in the third or fourth round. Uh, but I'm going to take Bader to win this matchup. And there you guys go, the full Bellator 290 breakdown. I apologize, it came out, you know, less than 24 hours before the fights are actually supposed to kick off, but still 
early enough that I believe that anybody who wants action or predictions on the Bellator card are still able to ingest this content. I appreciate everybody for all the love. Appreciate you guys for all the support. Eyes forward to Fury FC for me. Again, all that content is going to be on the Patreon. Uh, check out the link in the description below. And then uh, UFC 2, what is it, 284, 283, 284, Mahachev versus Volkanovski. I cannot wait to get started on that card. And I should hopefully have it ready to go and the podcast recorded for you guys and dropped by Monday or Tuesday of Fight Week. So keep you guys and eyes peeled for that. All right, love you guys. Appreciate you guys. Right back into the ground, right back into the groove of things. I'll catch you guys again next week. Peace.